brothers and sisters, welcome to the LDS Fishers of Men podcast. We are on episode 14. Oh, I am uh, actually taking a break this week. Every four to six weeks, you're supposed to take a break. You know, take a week off from lifting weights and stuff. Kind of give your body a chance to just kind of recoup. I never do that. I I am very bad at that. I just like, I like my schedule. I like, uh... I like having my my things planned out that way. I like having a schedule that I adhere by. And, you know, I like Monday being this, Tuesday being this, you know, Wednesday being this. So I always, like, it, it throws my brain through a loop when I do this. But it, it is necessary and it is smart to do. Um, so I'm, I'm forcing myself to do it here. So... I'm not in the uh, in the garage gym today. I'm sorry. Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> so, brothers and sisters, today, today we're going to cover something that some people are going to take offense to. Um, people, hopefully not, but but ho- hopefully, hopefully, I do this in such a way. And then I communicate uh, some of the thoughts, feelings, and facts at our at our disposal here, in such a way that it is done uh, with with the intention that I have in mind, and that intention is love. It is um, understanding. It is uh, in a spirit of meekness, and. It's, it's going to be one of those things. Whenever you speak the truth, as Jordan Peterson says, uh, the truth itself is offensive. It, it's just one of those things. Um, it is more in that vein that I am, I, I am speaking. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to intentionally try to come off as a jerk. I'm not going to try to come across as a man up on his ramiumptum. That is not the case here. I am in the water with you guys. You know, I, I'm I'm trying to to figure out my way through mortality, just like the rest of you, my brothers and sisters. And I uh, really want to, when I see something, when I see something that is snaring a lot of my brothers and sisters, a lot of my fellow servants. And I see it doing damage to them. And I see it getting hold on a decent amount of people. I feel that I have a duty to speak my mind to it. And to to provide a average Joe's perspective on things, right? Now... Again, I, this is not meant to come across as a holier-than-thou thing. This is not meant that way. I have friends and family that I love very dearly who, who um, when they hear this, they're, they're, they might get their ire up a little bit. And please, please understand that this is, this is love, this is respect, and this is admonition. We are going to tackle some subjects today. 
that have made waves uh, the past decade that haven't been really big deals, at least as far as I understand and know, um, clear up until about the last decade. Those things that we are going to deal with, I have, I, I have titled um, and, and put under the umbrella of the, uh, the title of the podcast, which is Touch Not the Unclean Gift. Brothers and sisters, let's go ahead and take this journey here. Let's, let, let's get started, but I'm going to do something unusual this time. Um, I'm going to start with a prayer on this podcast. Because I really, really want and need the Spirit to be here with us today. And... As I've stated before, brothers and sisters, my words mean nothing. The information that are conveyed through my words mean nothing. Any change of heart that occurs is directly because of the Holy Ghost and His influence and the truth that He will speak to your spirit. And all the praise and all of the thanks uh, can, go, can go to Christ. Um, I'm going to go ahead and offer up that prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we get together today, as we as brothers and sisters reason together as fellow servants and as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I ask, Father, that as I convey the information and the position of the brethren on some of these ideas and some of these things that beset the beset the church, thy church. I ask that the Spirit will attend, and I ask that thou would grant unto us even a double portion of thy Spirit, that if there are hard hearts, if there are hard feelings, that they will be softened, and that the words, the imperfect and impure language that that comes from me will be able to be translated into a tool that can be used by the Spirit, by thy Spirit, Father, and that we can seek the truth and that the truth will be conveyed, and that we will be able to give our sign to Thee, Father, that we are truly seeking to be disciples of Jesus Christ, and to not just have this be a cultural thing. We love Thee, Father, we need Thee, and I ask again for Thy Spirit and blessing to be upon, to be upon us and everybody listening. I say this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so I, that's not something I usually do. I, I, uh, I don't know that it's appropriate to do that every time, so I don't. I like to, I like to try to be as respectful as I can and to not 
drag holy things into the spotlight and stuff like that. So I, I, I usually say a prayer silently before I begin a podcast. This is one um, that I'm going to do that obviously I did together. And I wanted that, that spirit to be with us. And I want the Lord to attend and for the Holy Ghost to attend. Okay, so as I said, we are going to be talking about touching not the unclean thing, or the unclean gift. Before we begin, brothers and sisters, I want to read a scripture to you. 2 Nephi chapter 9, we'll go 39 through 41. O my beloved brethren, remember the awful the awfulness in transgressing against the holy God, and also the awfulness of yielding to the enticings of that cunning one. Remember, to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life eternal. O my beloved brethren, give here to my words. Remember the greatness of the Holy One of Israel. Do not say that I have spoken hard things against you, for if you do, you will revile against the truth. For I have spoken the words of your Maker. I know that the words of truth are hard against all uncleanness, but the righteous fear them not, for they love the truth and are not shaken. O then, my beloved brethren, come unto the Lord, the Holy One. I was going to add of Israel, but it just says the Holy One. Remember that his paths are righteous. Behold, the way for man is narrow. But it lieth in a straight course before him, and the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel. And he employeth no servant there, and there is none other way, save it be be by the gate, for he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name. All right. Brothers and sisters, let's talk about what it means to be unclean. If you look that up in the topical guide, you will see uh, see also defile, filthiness, spirits, evil, or unclean. Okay. I think it is interesting that under uncleanness, it mentions spirits, evil or unclean, right? There's obviously some things that we know that are unclean, right? There are some things that are extremely obvious. There are some things that may not be quite as obvious. Every generation, brothers and sisters, we deal with something that is unclean, that the members of the church, Satan is able to sink his hooks into them with something. Every generation. It is a fun um, and interesting, I guess you could call it a thought experiment, to go through, go back as far as you can in the general conferences and to, to watch them or listen to them on um, churchjesuschrist.org and to see the things that they're talking about, things that they're dealing with. 
it's really interesting to see the unclean things that members start to espouse, that the brethren have to then stand up and correct. And what is interesting is that in every generation, we lose people to those evil or unclean things. If you go back into the 70s, and this reminds me of Saturday's Warriors, and you'll, you'll, you'll understand if any of you this, that have seen it. If you go back into the, the 60s and 70s, you'll see that they the brethren will bring up a lot of the, hey, you know, at, at the time, there was a lot of people saying we need to decrease the world population, right? Now we're hearing all of this stuff since then, and it's made a big resurgence lately. But the brethren took stances on that. The brethren took stances on having children and having families. You know, I've seen this thing happen, you know, amongst people in my sphere of influence as well, to where they say, well, we want to have two kids because we, you know, we want to be able to to make sure that we provide nothing but the absolute upper crust best for them and stuff. And it, it'll be easier for us and stuff. And, you know, this is an example, right? Um, the brethren, um, I'm thinking specifically of Ezra Taft Benson. He spoke on that a lot. And he, you know, he, he goes so far as to, as to say, look, these spirits are going to be born with or without you, you know? They will either be born to you or to somebody else, but you will have to explain in the afterlife, you know, you're going to have to give your reasons and an accounting to them as, as well as God as to why you didn't want to provide a physical body for them and they had to go elsewhere, basically. There are, there's really, you know, things like that that come up every generation and, and, there's going to be LDS members, members of our church, who are going to, in a spirit of rebellion, rebuke what the brethren say, or they'll try to twist themselves into pretzels and justify at their reasoning behind it, right? Now, obviously, there's, there's with that specific example, there's... There's things, right? Like, if you can't have kids, obviously, you're not being held to that standard. Okay, let's, you know, I don't feel like I need to say that, but I, I think that we're dealing with situations and people and stuff that may, you know, think that way. So let's, I'm just covering all my bases here, right? There's, there's an exception to that rule specifically. There's stuff that we're going to talk about today where there really is no exception. There's... Straight up not, right? In talking about, you know, referring back to my Nephi scripture that I read before we got started. Satan is extraordinarily cunning. He can take something that is pure protein. And he'll just take 1% of that protein away and insert 1%, 1% of, of demon or 1% of uncleanly, you know, unclean protein. He will make that thing basically so close to the truth that it's almost 
unrecognizable that you you have no problem partaking of it, right? However, that being said, that 1% will then begin to become more and more the more that you begin to partake of that protein from that spiritual food source, right? Pretty soon it's 2%. Pretty soon it's 3%. And there is a philosophy of men mingled with scripture, right? Aspect to all of this. This is a metaphor for that phrase. And soon... He doesn't even really need to add a whole lot. Like you can have a 30% protein, 70% unclean protein, and you're eating it. You're craving it even. And that is the danger that we are facing and that every generation seems to have an issue with regardless of what the issue is. Um, there is a rebellious nature, I think, in the, the natural man where we want to rebel. We don't want to be told what to do. We want to find our own way. And I think that when we want something to be true, I know this is true of myself, and this is something that I have to watch, something that I have had to, to tamper down the older that I have got, that I have become, is that if I want something to be true, there's a tendency to to like try to find a way to, to make it true, to make it happen, even if it's not 100% there, right? Um, you can, you know, a more uh, worldly exam example would be uh, a fanboy, right? If you've ever heard the phrase a fanboy. So I'm going to give a, a really silly example here, right? You got Xbox and you got PlayStation. There are, there are, loyal fans on both sides of the fence here with Xbox and PlayStation. You could use anything in place of these, but this is the uh, a funny, silly one that I can use. Now, see, I have become, and this isn't me up uh, on my ramiumptum. This was me taking advice of some very, very wise uh, tech folks on, on YouTube and as well as in my, in, in my life where they say, you know what? I am loyal to whoever gives me the best bang for my buck. I am not going to be loyal to any brand because there are there are uh, console generations where Xbox uh, has completely been a, a, a terrible uh, you know they, they've they've given out a product that is very anti-consumer. And in those times, Sony will capitalize on those times and they will push out their console that is very consumer-friendly. And what's funny is that they will always trade places. One generation, Sony is, is the, the benevolent you know, company putting out their console. The next generation, it's, it's Microsoft Xbox, right? The Xbox is the benevolent console, and Sony has become a little bit more draconian. They want to lock things up. They want to not allow you freedom to do things on their, on their console. Whether that be backwards compatibility or, or whatever. I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but, you know. 
the the whole thing behind this example is that there are people that when Xbox is anti-consumer, they will bend over backwards to make it seem like it is consumer friendly. And well, they, there's a reason why they're doing it, and it's this. And they, you know what I mean? They they will fall on the dagger for for their favorite company because they're fanboys, right? It's just it, it it's kind of funny, and it's because it's what they have, right? It's like, well, look, I've I've invested myself into this platform, so I need to convince myself <laughs> that it's that it is the best, right? Because I'll feel better about myself. This is a a kissing cousin to what I'm talking about here, because when we when we find something like that that appeals to us. There's there's that fanboy, you know, tendency to where you want to make it, you want it to be true. You know, we're seeing this happen with the, with the second coming of the Savior, right? There are people who are trying to apply things, you know, and I don't fault people for this at all. Don't, don't misunderstand. But there are people who are like, well, you know, the seven years of tribulation is starting now because of this. And they'll take and they'll start to twist some things and stuff. And and they want it to be true because, of course, we want the Savior to be, to be you know, almost here, to be five years away or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Of course we want that. But what we have to do is say, look, here are the facts, Right. We, we need to look at the facts, and there are some facts that are ignored when we say, well, we've entered the seven years of tribulation. There just are, right? I'm not claiming to be an expert on this. I'm just, I'm just saying, when we want something to be true, we are extremely good at making ourselves believe that it's true, and that is dangerous spiritually. That's very dangerous. I'm going to read a quote here from Elder Oaks. The devil is the father of lies, and he is ever anxious to frustrate the work of God by his clever imitations. Okay, I I just opened the window here into what we're talking about. Now, in both of those um, things that I've read so far, it lists uh, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, the light bringer, right? It lists him as being very clever. Very clever, okay? And not just the fact that he's clever, his clever imitations. Clever imitations. Let us read a story here. And I'm leading you along here. You guys still don't know what I'm going to talk about, do you? All right, all right. I'll tell you, I'll tell you. I'm going to read a story about Hiram Page. Now, Hiram Page had a seer stone that he found, right? Joseph Smith had a seer stone where he received revelation through. He was able to... Um, obviously, with the Urim and Thummim, okay, those were two stones that were set into a breastplate, you know, into these these uh, 
Oculus-type lenses and stuff like that where he was able to translate the golden plates. So we have these stones. Now, can, can Satan imitate miracles? Can Satan imitate miracles? Can his generals, his lieutenants, his captains, his majors, his, you know, enter what, whatever position you would like in line of authority in the Dark Kingdom? Can they, do they have power to imitate miracles? I think we all would agree that yes, abso absolutely he does, right? We're going to talk today about some things that are imitations of the truth, brothers and sisters. And I'm going to, right off the bat here, these are things that are plaguing our church. This is like something that has come up in our generation that we need to understand. And th this is, again, this is an average Joe. The thing, the superpower I have going for me is that I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. I know the Book of Mormon is true. Because of that, I know that there is an unbroken line of succession in prophetic leadership over this church. I take what the brethren say very seriously. I uh, will always doubt myself over the brethren. That is something that that I feel is an average Joe gift. I don't I don't feel that's anything special. Do you know what I'm saying? I feel like that's something that we all sh absolutely should have. Um, it is something we should seek for if you don't have that, right? And so it's from the perspective of an average Joe that I'm, I'm giving you all of this information here. However, I'm using the words of prophets and apostles, uh, either written down in scripture or modern day. So, going back to Hiram Page. He was absolutely convinced, absolutely convinced that his seer stone was uh, a communicating device between him and the Lord Jehovah. Now, not only did he believe that, but he shared that, right? He shared that with people. And this can be found in uh, DNC section 28, if you want to read the account in its entirety. There were, I'm going to give you a brief synopsis here, preceding what happened with Hiram Page, but basically... 
this is a revelation that says, you know, Oliver Cowdery kind of overstepped his authority a little bit. And, you know, basically he was telling some people, hey, there, there's an issue with one of the translations. There's, you know, whatever the issue was, he's saying, I, I need you guys to change it. And Joseph Smith had to go and say, no, there's not an issue with it. And you, you're, you're overstepping your authority, good sir. I'm sure he did it in a very loving, you know, instructional way. And so he was, he had to convince Oliver, he said, look, you know, when things like this need to be corrected, if there is a question, it's the president of the church who does the, the correction. I'm like, I, I will handle that. This is under my stewardship, right? Now, this is coming from the Lord. This isn't coming from Joseph Smith, but Joseph Smith is, you know, having this dictated. Uh, the prophet holds the keys of the mysteries, and he is the only one that receives instruction and revelation for the church. Okay. Oliver Cowdery was then commanded to go and to uh, bring the gospel to the Lamanites. He then was also told, Oliver, I need you to go and to set Hiram Page straight, because... Uh, He's not receiving revelation from me, <laughs> from God, right? So we go here to start in verse 11 of DNC 28. And again, thou shalt take thy brother Hiram Page between him and thee alone, and tell him that those things which he hath written from that stone are not of me, and that Satan deceiveth him. Now, I'm going to pause here. These guys were guys that were rubbing shoulders with, with the prophet of this dispensation. Like, these guys didn't have the internet. They didn't have the distractions that we have. These guys were earnest. They were seeking for the truth. A lot of these converts uh, to the church, they were holding Bible studies where they were they were basically saying, we're going to do this until the true church gets here because we know that it's going to get here. Like a lot of these guys were in tune. They knew that the true church wasn't around. They knew that whatever church they belonged to, it, it didn't have the 12 apostles. It didn't have, you know, like I say, these guys didn't have a lot of time for distractions and they read their Bible. They understood These guys having the true church amongst them, it being new, you know, there were some things that they accepted. They accepted the fact that Joseph Smith was a prophetseer and revelator and that he made use of the Urim and Thummim, that he made use of a seer stone, right? And, and they accepted that faithfully, right? They said, okay. Okay, we accept that. We know Joseph Smith is a prophet. We know he uses a seer stone. So when this guy comes and he's able to find a stone, right, and he's able to see through this stone and receive inspiration, he's thinking, oh my gosh, I've got one now. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm just trying to, to, to make this very clear as to the type of people we're dealing with here, okay? 
Uh, continue on with verse 12. For behold, these things have not been appointed unto him, neither shall anything be appointed unto any of this church contrary to the church covenants. Let's pause again. That statement alone should be tattooed on all of our hearts, right? Spiritually, metaphorically tattooed on our hearts. Okay? Neither shall anything be appointed unto any of this church, any of it, contrary to the church covenants. Okay? These covenants are given to us by the Lord's mouthpiece, just like it was done with Moses. That's a type, right? For all things must be done in order and by common consent in the church by the prayer of faith. And thou shalt assist to settle all these things according to the covenants of the church before thou shalt take thy journey among the Lamanites. Okay, he's talking to Oliver Cowdery. And it shall be given thee from the time thou shalt go until the time thou shalt return, what thou shalt do. Okay. Going back to, uh, going back to this man, Hiram Page. He was convinced convinced that he was receiving revelation from God and he told others and the others were convinced that they were that he was receiving revelation from God okay this was something that was nipped quickly in in the bud and to uh to Hiram Page's credit he was like oh okay you know he he took the counsel he was humble enough to say oh crap okay <laughs> my bad <laughs> you know and he he took the correction right, and I, and I I'm sure it was done in a very uh, respectful manner. Okay. If you go to the uh, histories of the church, volume one, 1832 to eighteen forty four, it it talks about this, and it just basically says after Joseph Smith received this revelation, he convened a conference and set the church in order. At the conference, Brother Page, as well as the whole church who were present, renounced the said stone and all things connected therewith. Okay, so any anything, it wasn't like they were saying, okay, so... So anything that, uh, that this stone, it's like, yeah, the stone's bad, but what if, you know... What if we break a piece of it off? Like, that'll be fine to keep. Well, I just kind of want to keep it around. No, they renounced it. They renounced it, and anything that had anything to do with it, they renounced it. Which is what you're supposed to do. You don't need a 50-50 good protein spiritually, bad protein spiritually, right? You don't need any of that uncleanness in your life. Okay? Brothers and sisters, we are going to go into energy healing, uh, Reiki, Chi, whatever whatever you want to call it. And it's called different things across the world. 
and in different times of the world. And I have a ton of information here. I've got pages and pages of stuff that I've prepared. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see, you know, what I feel like I need to share and, and you know, what um, hopefully the Spirit dictates what is important and what is not. I had a, I was really fired up about this when I began to prepare and I had a, um, I was going to unapologetically come in here and kind of, you know, I, I had a little bit of righteous fire under my, under my saddle. And as I began to prepare, I received like a definite prompting that basically was uh, correcting me, saying, no, if, if you want the Spirit's help, then you will not take that approach. Which is why I'm trying to be very careful about how I approach this, because otherwise it will be a waste of my time and your time. And nobody will be convinced, and it will just, just be a waste of time. I understand that there are many who are involved uh, through varying degrees with these, you know, with the energy healing, with all that stuff. And I'm not just picking on that today, but there's something that goes along with it um, that is in the same camp, and that is spiritual experiences through uh, drug experimentation through the use of pharmaceuticals. In order to preface this, well, let me let me read a let me read a quote here from President uh, Boyd K. Packer, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna go into some explanation here. Personal spiritual experiences. We are entitled to personal revelation. However, unless we are set apart to some presiding office, we will not receive revelations concerning what others should do. An unusual spiritual experience should not be regarded as a personal call to direct others. It is my conviction that experiences of a special sacred nature are individual and should be kept to oneself. How many of these LDS... Um, energy healers, these, you know, a lot of these prominent people that kind of rose to prominence over the past decade. Number one, how many of them have been excommunicated? Number two, what is sad about that is that even after excommunication, the fault is being laid at the feet of the church. And there must be a problem with the church and not the person. These, these people um, don't just use the, the spiritual healing, but there's also, they will use these unusual spiritual experiences, right, that, that are personal in nature, that have been, they've had a price tag slapped on it, whether it be through the selling of books, whether it be through the selling of the the healing energy healing sessions, which in with some folks um, 
they'll charge like a thousand bucks an hour for this stuff. And even if it was free, right? Even if it was 100% free, brothers and sisters, this is an unclean gift. It's an unclean gift. To kind of illustrate my point, I'm going to give you guys a kind of an example, right? Let's let's give it a real world example. And in the um, in the spirit of video game consoles, let's say, okay, this this earth and the life that we are living, the mortal experience that we are having, is a computer game. It's a simulation. Okay. It has been coded with rules, boundaries, limitations, like I can't I can't fly, right? I can't um I can't like I can't go and drink salt water and have it hydrate me. I can't you know, I can't jump into a pit of full of spikes and and walk out unharmed. There are, you know, Gravity is another good one, right? I can't jump off a cliff and slow my descent down without the use of something else. Like there's there's physics, there's other things that ha- that come into play here. And we navigate this video game with an understanding of those physics, with an understanding of of the code, right? We we have to adhere to this computer code while we're here. Now, there also exists something beyond the computer code, right? We know from Latter-day Revelation that the spirit world exists in tandem with this mortal world, this mortal experience, right? That's beyond the, the, the code of our mortal experience. And there are times when that code can be altered a little bit, right? When you give somebody a priesthood healing, there is the potential there. And any of us who, who have experienced that there is a supernatural effect to it, what we would call supernatural, right? There is an authorized changing of the code. When Christ, during his mortal ministry, took clay and spit into the clay and made kind of mud and and he put that onto the blind man's eyes and through the priesthood healed him, there was an altering of the code. Now, we don't know exactly how that altering of the code happens, but what we do know is that Christ and his power is authorized to alter the code. However that happens, we know that it's through the priesthood that that, 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 is, that happens. Okay, That is very different from a doctor giving you stitches. 
when a doctor gives you stitches, he's operating within the rules of the of the, the program, of the computer game, right? And we know that if we do these certain things with the skin, and then if we clean it, if we remove the bacteria, if we, you know, take these two pieces of flesh and sew them together, or we glue them together, it will heal itself, right? Because we are... We're taking advantage of our knowledge of the code thus far. That is different from a priesthood blessing, brothers and sisters. The priesthood blessing is above that. It is supernatural. It is spiritual. When you take the oil and you put it on somebody's head, okay, there are connections with the oil that we put on someone's head and the oil that they use in, in the temple of the congregation with Moses and stuff, okay? The oil that was used in, in the menorah, the oil that was used in what, 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 in, in our scriptures it calls it a candlestick, right? It's not a candlestick, that's the King James translation of it. These are oil lamps that were burning olive oil. The only source of light that came from inside the tabernacle of the congregation came from those lamps. Well, what does the oil represent, brothers and sisters? How do you see? Like, what do you think it means? What, what does it represent? It represents the spirit. Okay? If anyone who's been doing their, their uh, come follow me will understand that. The oil is representative of the spirit. We see God, we enter into the holy place, the, into the holy of holies. The only way we can see is by the light of the Spirit, right? That's the only way we can enter into God's presence, is through the light of the Spirit, how we can see in there. And when we give somebody a blessing with the oil, we are anointing them with the Spirit, and the healing happens by the authority of the priesthood through the Spirit. It is a spiritual experience. It is going outside the code. Okay? Are we tracking so far? You know, as, as all my uh, my army brother, brothers and sisters, okay, that was a big thing. We'd say, tracking? Or are we tracking? <laughs> okay. When um, Joseph Smith would look through the Urim and Thummim, he was going, as far as we can understand, as far as our technology, as far as our understanding of physics, okay? At, at the time, there was no power source hooked up. There was nothing, there was no batteries on this thing, right? This was something that was doing something through the spirit. And however that happens, we don't know. But it was authorized. It was sanctioned by by the, the priesthood, right? That's the power by which this thing operated inside of our earthly computer program. Now, the rock <clears throat> or the stone that Hiram Page found, it operated in much the same manner. It operated outside of the code that we have, that we understand. However, 
while it mimicked and essentially was the same exact thing. It, it gave revelation to Hiram Page. It was done through a different power. And I put the question to you, brothers and sisters, was this power sanctioned by God? No, it was not. That's obvious. It's, it's, it's not. It was renounced. Do you think there were members that were saying, oh my gosh, we're so lucky the Lord is speaking to us, you know, th th that were deceived? You know, in, in that group with, with uh, Hiram Page? Did the things that come through, did, were they feel-good things? I don't know, but they, they tricked them. They tricked some extremely uh, Bible-literate people into believing that this, that this stone was from God because it mimicked it to the T. Okay. Let's apply this now that I've given you the setting here where we're still here in our in our mortal earthly um situation, right? In in our in our game. And we now have an example of an authorized use of healing done through, as we know, wisdom and order, right? Because the Lord's house is a house of order. When we take a look at Reiki, at energy healing, is there... Are they using physics and are they using medical knowledge as we understand it that exists within this computer code? Or are they using a spiritual aspect to it? It's a spiritual aspect. There's no physical touch, right? Now, are there little bits and pieces of truth that they are using and building upon, perhaps? Do I believe that the body um, has an ability to heal itself through proper use of energy and you know emotion and stuff like that i'm sure there's something to that for sure i think that when you get stressed um there's a reason why it has a detrimental effect on your health now people call it energy people you know some people call it spirit and stuff like that like whatever the case is it's like okay yeah i can buy that i can buy that that that's that's pretty much medically proven and when you're happy, when you laugh and stuff like that, it has a very positive effect on your health, right? So are there some truths that are being built upon? Yeah, I can buy that. 
I can buy that. However, when we give somebody a blessing, that stuff isn't coming into play, right? It's not being com- it's not coming into play. It's different. It's spiritual. The sp- the the the, the uh, priesthood healing isn't so much concerned about your about your energy or anything like that. It's it's stating things by the power and authority of Jesus Christ and the Melchizedek priesthood. Okay. I'm going to read to you something from Acts chapter 8 that's going to further help us illustrate this. Okay, So Simon is, is who we're talking about here. Simon the sorcerer. Okay, Simon exists in the same world that we do. He exists in the same computer game that we do. Okay, Let's go Acts chapter 8 verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some, some, was some great one, okay. to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. Let's stop there. We have a parallel here, brothers and sisters. We have a parallel here. Just as Hiram Page had his his uh, mimic, right? His his counterfeit to the real deal. We got Simon here, and they both probably were tricked of themselves and had tricked other people unwillingly. Maybe tricked isn't the right word. They were used and the people believed that what they were experiencing of these men was of God. That's pretty powerful and that's not a throwaway statement, okay? We're talking about, like, when we're talking about Jews, these people were very staunch, in what they believed, okay? Anything that they would have deemed devilish, they wanted nothing to do with. And they even threw some of that stuff at the feet of Christ because they hadn't seen that stuff for a long time, right? Or they said, oh, he's doing it by the power of a devil, right? So these guys, these guys knew the law. They knew the Mosaic law extremely well. They knew their Torah. It's the same thing with the group of Christians, with the group of Latter-day Saints that Hiram Page, you know, had, had unwittingly deceived. And to think that we are any different or better than those people is a very prideful and costly, potentially costly mistake. Okay, let's read on. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Stop here. Was Simon operating within the bounds of this mortal computer game? Was he operating within the rules of the code when he used this sorcery, this power? 
Now, I can hear some people arguing, saying, well, he knew how to manipulate it. That's all sorcery is, is they know how to use. It's like, eh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it is a, uh, a cheat code. It's a cheat code. An unauthorized cheat code, right? You're not supposed to be able to give yourself the, uh, the power of flight or levitation. You're not supposed to be able to give yourself the power of whatever, right? I'm not, you know, again, I'm, I'm not being disrespectful here. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to insult anybody that has partaken of this. It's, it's quite the contrary. I get it. I get it. I understand. Like, this stuff is extremely hard to root out sometimes. And we're going to have this continue to happen as time goes on. We need to be extraordinarily careful and humble about these things as time goes on. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were shown or done. Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. He offered them money for that power, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay my hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. Stop. Why would Simon offer them money? Could it be that he was used to getting money when he did things through sorceries? It's a thought. It's a thought. Delving into the spiritual realm and charging money for it should be a ginormous red flag, brothers and sisters. Should be a very big red flag. Okay, going back, verse 20. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Let's stop there. Simon had just been baptized. He believed. He was a believer. Okay? Yet he still, he didn't understand some things. 
and the obviously these guys gave him a pretty strong rebuke okay these the the apostles of the day gave him a pretty strong rebuke okay Simon was still he was still deceived on some things he didn't understand he was deceived okay but in the end, he says, Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Okay? So it sounds like in the end, he was, you know, he was like, Oh, crap, I need to repent. Okay, hey, I, I understand. You know, I'm sure that they said him right. I'm sure they said him right. Simon had access to power outside of the priesthood and was used to charging money for it, okay? Which is why he thought it was no big deal that he approach, you know, Peter and John and, you know, the, the apostles to approach them and to say, hey, if I hook you up with some money, because that's how I've always done things, is it cool if you hook me up with the, the ability to give people the Holy Ghost, not only is that a really intense view of the power of the Holy Ghost that maybe we take for granted, but just the fact that he was so nonchalant about it, like, hey, I recognize that this is powerful. This is legit. This is from God. I'll give you some money. Hook me up with that power, you know. I hope we're drawing some parallels here. I'm painting a picture here. There is an authorized way to delve into the spiritual, supernatural realm. And typically, we don't have any control over when that happens. You are guided by the Spirit when someone is to be healed in a miraculous way. A miracle. That's why they call it a miracle. It's because it exists outside of our understanding of the code of the mortal computer game called life. It's a miraculous way around the rules, boundaries, and limitations that we have existing here at the time. Through the use of the priesthood and in the name of Christ... We are able to, to delve into that realm. Now, when a vision is given, it is given in the Lord's time, and he himself holds himself responsible for giving the interpretation of a dream. Okay, he does speak to people in dreams, for sure. And when we see people like Nephi experience a potentially what we could say is a outer body experience where he took his spirit to a high mountain, right? Visions that are given, these are supernatural occasions. When we... Um, when we dive into a lot of the places that energy healing stems from, like India, China, right? It's, it's Eastern mysticism. 
you will see um, in India that they will talk about opening the third eye on your forehead. Okay. You ever dived into that at all? The third eye? Is there something to that? I believe there is. Okay. I believe what they're talking about is, is the spiritual realm. It all ties together, right? Unfortunately, what we see is that when Reiki and stuff was introduced to the United States, it was done under false pretenses and straight-up lies. And that's a bold statement. I understand, okay? I'm, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to, to anyone's beliefs or anything like that. It's why, like, the fact that we are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is why I'm being bold about it. Right? It was sold to a Christian population under the pretense that this was how Christ had healed people. Did you know that? It was sold under the pretense of, of it being com perfectly compatible with Christianity. And that was the only way that they knew that they could sell it to Christianity, right? It was like they, they, they couldn't just bring it over as it was because we'd recognize it. We would have known right off the bat, boom. Yeah, this is this is not of God. <laughs> right? There's a there's there's so much to go into. Like I'm I'm looking through my material right now. There's there's some Christian gals who talk about it who are former Reiki masters and stuff. There are there is a a former uh, prominent energy healer who who is a member of our church who renounced it, right? There's some things here that just you you really have to twist yourself into pretzels to be able to make it compatible with your religion. You really do. There are, I'm being careful here, there are certain hand gestures, there are certain things that are done going into where where the Reiki comes from. If you watch a Chinese man practice the Reiki, right, and the energy healing, if you watch an Indian, a person from India, practice it, there are certain things that they will do with their hands. There are, there's a whole, like, how do you say it? There's a series of things, and they all mean different things to do with your hands, to hand gestures and stuff like that, right? There's obviously like the, 
they, they, they call them mudras, right? Mudras. I can't remember if that's the Chinese term or the Indian term. It, it, it really is easy to see when you study both. Go into India. Just, just look into it. Google it. Don't take my word for it. Google it. Jump in there and look into the India energy healing. Compare it to the Chinese energy healing. And then compare that to the LDS energy healing. Or just the Christian energy healing. Right? It's, it's all the same. It's impossible to not see the similarities. Right? And I can hear some people say, well, it's different. Right? Just like how the stone was different from Joseph Smith. That stone was different from the one the Hiram Page used. It's like, okay, we're comparing apples to oranges now. More like we're, we're comparing angels and demons. Okay, and I'm not saying that flippantly or facetiously. I'm saying that because it's literally true. Okay, we're taking the priesthood of God and we're comparing that to and saying that energy healing is the equivalent of that and that that is clean while... The stuff that it stems from, that it descends from, is is unclean. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, brothers and sisters. I know that there are stake presidents. I know that there are stake presidents' wives, uh, more so stake presidents' wives and stuff, that are into this stuff. And they need to really, really, really look into it. And study where it comes from. Okay? Do hand gestures mean things? Now I'm speaking to those who are... Who are uh, temple recommend holders. Do hand gestures mean things? I'm pausing here because <laughs> I want that to sink in. Okay. Google Buddha statue mudras, M U D R A S. Google Buddha Buddhist hand gestures. Google uh, Egypt mudras. Google uh, India, India statue mudras or hand gestures. I hope it's it's making you nervous when you're seeing these images come up. Okay, it is an apostate version of the truth. It is an apostate version of something that is coming to your and my mind when you see those statues and what they're doing. Let me go here to what uh, what mudra is. Okay. In India, it is the gestural vocabulary used in imagery, dance, and yoga with root meanings in a verb that can signify cleansing and purification as well as satisfaction and delight. Mudra is used in Indian rhetoric to denote the expression of things by their right names. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
More concretely, a mudra is a seal or an emblem. As a system of hand gestures, it can sum up a god's, small g, or goddess's character or a dancer's mood in a moment of concentration, of concentrated symbolism and meaning. Okay. What is the priesthood, according to churchjesuschrist.org? The word priesthood has two meanings. First, priesthood is the power and authority of God. It has always existed and will continue to exist without end. Through the priesthood, God created and governs the heavens and the earth. Through this power, he exalts his obedient children, bringing to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Second, in mortality, priesthood is the power and authority that God gives to man to act in all things necessary. I'm going to repeat that. Uh, gives to man to act in all things necessary for the salvation of God's children. The blessings of the priesthood are available to all who receive the gospel. Okay, let's go back in history. Now, I've, I bring up India, I bring up China, I bring up these hand gestures, the mudras, and stuff like that. And with the explanation that I've just read, okay, where does this stuff come from? It's apostate. Okay, it's apostate. Let's go back to ancient Egypt. Let's go back to, let's go way far back to right after the flood. Okay, we got Noah. Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Okay, one of those sons dishonored the garment. Okay, he even stole it. Because of that, he was cursed from the priesthood. Now, what father is Ham a, a father? Like, what nation is Ham a father of? Okay. Well, one of the most prominent kingdoms that came from Ham was Egypt. Okay. If we go to Abraham chapter 1, verse 25. Now, the first government of Egypt was established by Pharaoh, the eldest son of Egyptus, the daughter of Ham. And it was after the manner of the government of Ham, which was patriarchal. Okay, so Ham was patriarchal. That makes sense. That's how Noah was, so he's doing what Noah did. Pharaoh, being a righteous man, established his kingdom and judged his people wisely and justly all his days, seeking earnestly to imitate that order established by the fathers in the first generations in the days of the first patriarchal reign, even in the reign of Adam and also of Noah his father, who blessed him with the blessings of the earth and with the blessings of wisdom but cursed him as pertaining to the priesthood. Now Pharaoh, being of that lineage by which he could not have the right of priesthood, notwithstanding the Pharaohs would fain claim it from Noah through Ham. Therefore my father was led away by their idolatry. Okay. It's the same thing, brothers and sisters. I'm using Egypt here because it's a prime example, but when we see those those 
when we see the religions of India, of China, and there are similarities, you can see, you can see the apostasy. You can see it. There's some really interesting stuff if you dig into China and what they believed at one time. And it's extraordinarily close to the truth. Because I think at one time it was the truth. Okay, they had it from from Japheth. He's the father of of the Orient, okay? But over time they lost that and it was the priesthood was replaced with something else. Now you really can go you can go really deep into this. You really can. There are uh, witch covens, witchcraft covens, or excuse me, covens of witches who practice witchcraft and energy healing, uh, specifically Reiki. And they will straight up tell you it's a spiritual thing. By their own words, they will tell you it's a spiritual thing. Please research it. Another interesting fact about Reiki, okay, now keep in mind what we've just read. They feign claim to it. They mimic the patriarchal order, okay? Before we go into that, knowing what, we just, what we've just read about Egypt, when Moses showed up, okay, so, so let's all understand here, Egypt doesn't have right to the priesthood. Moses shows up. How many of the miracles were the priests of Egypt able to mimic? Almost all of them. Okay? Almost all of them. By what power were they mimicking those miracles? wasn't the priesthood. We know that. Okay, it wasn't the priesthood. Let's go further here. Not to poke the bear. I'm not trying to poke the bear. I'm trying to paint a picture. Do you think that that the powers that are being employed, whatever country, whatever time, that is absent of the priesthood, that is delving into the spiritual realm, were there healing powers? Was there an aspect of healing? Okay, voodoo, uh, medicine man. Did they have access to power? Obviously, it was not the priesthood that enabled them to be able to heal supernaturally. Okay, it's something to think about, and if you want to, research it. The answer is yes, they did. They had an ability to heal, okay? Something about uh, Reiki specifically is that if, if you want to become a Reiki master, you can't just say, I'm a Reiki master, you have to be attuned by another Reiki master in order to be a Reiki master. Okay? Uh, 
uh, in Reiki tradition, you it dictates that you must be initiated. It's kind of a religious word, isn't it? You must be initiated or attuned. That's another religious word, isn't it? That's a very those are two very spiritual words by a Reiki master before properly practicing this healing art of energy flow. No man taketh this honor unto himself except he that was called of God as was Aaron. That's what I that's what that reminds me of. Okay, that's a red flag. That's a big red flag, brothers and sisters. I'm going to read to you, because I've gone into this now. We've gone into this. We've, we, we're talking about it. I'm, I'm building a case. I'm painting a picture here. And to further paint the picture, I want to go back to the official Declaration 1. Okay. Excerpts from three addresses by President Wilford Woodruff regarding the Manifesto. He's talking about the Manifesto where we renounce polygamy. Okay. It's in the scriptures. A lot of people don't read what's in here, and they should. Okay, so this is this is scripture. Thus saith the Lord's type of scripture, okay? The Lord will never permit me, this is Wilford Woodruff, the Lord will never permit me or any other man who stands as president of this church to lead you astray. It is not in the program. It is not in the mind of God. If I were to attempt that, the Lord would remove me out of my place. And so he will any other man who attempts to lead the children of men astray from the oracles of God and from their duty. Okay. That was from General Conference. Okay, that's that's when it was recorded. It was from General Conference, October 1890. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? Okay, so let's... Let's go to uh, what what has the church said about energy healing. And when I say energy healing, I'm including all of that other stuff in it. Church spokesman message in 2016. Okay, this is when they first officially said something about it. We urge church members to be cautious about participating in any group that promises in exchange for money miraculous healings or or that claims to have special methods for accessing healing power outside of properly ordained priesthood holders. Okay, church church spokesman Eric Hawkins, 2016. Okay. Did you know that they've said more since then, brothers and sisters, about this? Let's go to 2017. October General Conference 2017. Elder Ballard spoke on the matter. In some places, too many of our people are looking beyond the mark and seeking secret knowledge. Secret knowledge inexpensive and questionable practices to provide healing and support. An official church statement issued one year ago states, okay, he's referencing what we just read in 2016, 
We urge church members to be cautious about participating in any group that promises in exchange for money miraculous healings or that claims to have special methods for accessing healing power outside of properly ordained priesthood holders. Okay, and then he goes on to say the church handbook counsels members should not use medical or health practices that are ethically or legally questionable. Local leaders should advise members who have health problems to consult with competent professional practitioners who are licensed in the countries where they practice. Brothers and sisters, be wise and aware that such practices may be emotionally appealing but may ultimately prove to be spiritually and physically harmful. Boy, he didn't really mince words there, did he? I'm going to point something out here. Not only did Elder Ballard back up what was said in 2016 and quote it, but he said it, what we're seeing here is in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established, okay? In the scriptures, when, when a prophet, an apostle, or the, you know somebody quoting the Lord, when they say something two or three times, take note. That means something. Please take note. Okay. So are we done? Is that it? Did you know that there was an update to the church handbook, a recent one? Okay, let's go to what the handbook says today. Right now, you can look this up. Okay, this is uh, section 38.7.8, medical and health care. That's, that's the umbrella that it's under. Seeking competent medical help, exercising faith, and receiving priesthood blessings work together for healing according to the will of the Lord. Okay, that's interesting, isn't it? Seeking content, competent medical help, exercising faith, and receiving priesthood blessings work together. So using the knowledge of healing that we have with the, the computer code that we're in, right? The mortal computer game of life that we're experiencing, knowing the rules, boundaries, and limitations, and how to effect healing within that realm that the Lord has placed us in, along with utilizing the priesthood which exists outside of that realm okay you use those together okay they work together for healing according to the will of the lord okay this is a thus saith the lord thing Members should not use or promote medical or health practices that are ethically, spiritually, or legally questionable. Those who have health problems should consult with competent medical professionals who are licensed in the areas where they practice. In addition to seeking competent medical help, members of the church are encouraged to follow the scriptural injunction in James chapter 5, verse 14 to call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Think about what we just talked about with oil. What's the purpose of it? Think about the tabernacle of the congregation, the temple. Priesthood blessings of healing are given by those who hold the necessary priesthood office. They are given when requested and at no charge. 
they didn't just put that in there for the heck of it, brothers and sisters. That's in there for a reason. Church members are discouraged from seeking miraculous or supernatural healing from an individual or group that claims to have special methods for accessing healing power outside of prayer and properly perform priesthood blessings. These practices are often referred to as, quote, energy healing, unquote. Other names are also used. Such promises for healing are often given in exchange for money. Did he say they're always they're always uh, given in exchange for money? Nope. They often are. Okay. Is there any doubt on how the brethren feel about this? On how on what the Lord's official stance is on this, brothers and sisters? Okay, we now have three witnesses right there. And if you'll notice, each subsequent <laughs> um, witness quoted the very first one. And then the third one quoted the second one. This is a reiteration. This is, let us not be, conflu- be, be confused here, brothers and sisters. That's, they're trying to make it very clear. Brothers and sisters, we need to choose today who we're going to follow. Okay? I'm going to read you a quote from Elder Neil A. Maxwell. But make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, in the months and years ahead, events will require of each member that he or she decide whether or not he or she will follow the First Presidency. Members will find it more difficult to halt longer between two opinions. Brothers and sisters, there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. There is one way. And that way, that gate, okay, that exists is there and kept by Christ. Okay, let's go back to what I read at the very beginning, 2 Nephi chapter 9. Let's go verse 41. O then, my beloved brethren, come unto the Lord, the Holy One. Remember that his paths are righteous. Behold, the way for man is narrow, but it lieth in a straight course before him, and the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel. And he employeth no servant there. And there is none other way, save it be by the gate, for he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name. Okay, that reminds me of the temple. That reminds me of of how we get into the Holy of Holies. At that point, it is... It's Christ that brings us into the Holy of Holies, isn't it? First Kings chapter 18, 21-22 And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. 
And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. When you hear about these people, brothers and sisters, whether it be Julie Rowe, uh, Daybell, Vallow, right, of a vow. Whenever you hear about these people and you hear that they've been excommunicated, knowing what we've just gone over, is it the church's fault? Is the church the one at bearing the, the, the burden? Are, is the church wrong? Is the Lord wrong? Okay. Ezekiel 22, her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Oftentimes these energy healing sessions begin with a prayer. Okay, that should, Ezekiel twenty two twenty six should really make a big difference after hearing that, okay? We are profaning the name of the Lord when we do that. We're mixing two different things together that are not meant to be mixed together, okay? That's how you get apostasy. There's a lot more I have to go into. There's a lot more I wanted to go into, brothers and sisters. I'm going to link um, some videos in the description that I want you to check out. And I hope you take the time to check it out. Because these people were, uh, you know, this lady was a Christian. And this other lady was a member of our faith. But the message is really the same. You know, it's, they, they were deceived. And their eyes have been opened and they know that they were deceived now. I hope that as we have gone through some of this stuff, I could have made this into a multi-part episode. I could, or episodes, I could have, this really could have been <laughs> a three or four part, you know, hour long episode. But it's, it's funny because as I prepared the spirit really did massage and and mold my presentation here a little bit into hopefully you know into what it is it's one of those things where 
like if I were to do this, I probably would a lot more forceful about it. I probably went a lot more unapologetic. I would have been a lot more, I could have come across uh, as a jerk big time. Because I think there's a lot of us who will look at stuff like this and, and some of us are, are fortunate enough to be able to sniff out stuff like this and we can say, this is common sense, <laughs> you know. Uh, and that's not to, again, that's not to put people, you know, myself or anybody else up on a ramiumptum because there's other things that you guys are fantastic at, right? I think that there is a, I think the people that are attracted to this are spiritually in tune, strong people. I think they have spiritual gifts that are 100% spiritual and that's why they are easily deceived into this thing. So don't misunderstand here. That's I'm not I'm not trying to be insulting at all. There are other things that probably get me. You know that that will be, you know, a lot harder for me to to detect. And somebody's going to have to set me straight on right. I want to go to Moroni. Let's go to Moroni chapter 10. Start in verse 28. I, I declare these things unto the fulfilling of the prophecies, and behold, they shall proceed forth out of the mouth of the everlasting God, and his word shall hiss forth from generation to generation. Okay, think about what we talked about at the beginning. Every generation has something that they have to deal with, right? Something that comes up that, they, that has to be corrected. And that winds up causing spiritual death amongst God's children. Verse 29, And God will show, or, and God shall show unto you that that which I have written is true. And again, I would exhort you that you would come unto Christ and lay hold upon every good gift and touch not the evil gift nor the unclean thing. the gifts that the gifts that are being used to provide the healing the comfort that come from the energy healing the reiki and all that stuff it is an unclean thing and it is an evil gift and is not a gift from god and I would encourage any within the sound of my voice who have delved into this to forsake it. This is one of those things that is a evil of our generation. It is a it is an unclean thing that has taken hold and taken root in a percentage of our church membership. And again, I have friends and I have family who is involved with it. I would implore anybody to follow the admonitions of the prophets and apostles and the official declarations that are put forth in the church handbook and general conference. Touch not the evil gift nor the unclean thing. Brothers and sisters, I hope that it has been presented in a way that is respectful that is worthy of the Holy Ghost using it to speak truth to your soul.
I love you guys. I want nothing but the best for you. And I ask that the Lord will bless you and, and bring peace upon you guys during these turbulent times. And that he will make use of the gift of the Spirit of the Holy Ghost that you have to dispel any unclean spirits who may have tricked you. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.